I think it's easy to underestimate John's letters. Uh, his book of Revelation is so powerfully strange, it's hard to forget it. And then his gospel is filled with just gems that you, you've heard. You've heard them enough times that you know them. I am the way and the truth and the life. Right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only. John just says just says these beautiful things. So we all know that, right? But then if you think about, maybe this isn't true for you, but it certainly has been true for me. You know, the what do I know about the Bible, right? I've been filling us in on Old Testament gaps in my own knowledge for a couple of years here now. Right? But if you ask me, you know, how's my New Testament knowledge? I'd say, oh yeah, point to me any text in the New Testament, any text. I'll I'll debate you on the text in the original language if you want. I may not be right, you know, but I've been there once or twice, right? I've been around, um, but not so much in Second John. No, not really. And I think it's because we underestimate him. I really do. I mean, it wasn't a big class on Second and Third John at the seminary. You know, it, it wasn't what it was about. And yet the two together are just quite powerful. And when you, when you put them with 1 John, which I didn't get to preach on that last week, so it was just the words, right? But when you put them all as one, it's, it's a potent side to early Christianity. And where Paul is in with the Greeks arguing about the big words, John's kind of like, don't forget the basics here. And he does it, what I would advocate, with a scope that's years and years later than many of the other debates. And so on the one hand, he's just a little more simple about some things. He's like, look, we are supposed to love each other. That's really what we're supposed to be active doing. Our behavior matters. And by the way, if someone doesn't teach that Jesus is the son of God, don't eat with them. Right? So it's not like he's nicer or something, right? <laughs> and, but, but somehow in all of it, there's a feel of uh a patience maybe that he has. You just don't get the impression that John was in a hurry when he wrote this letter. I mean, I have many other things to write to you, but I'm just never going to write to you. I'm going to come see you instead because then we can talk. Right? I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a very different pace. Right? You wouldn't text this <laughs> ever. Right. It's such a world in which he is convinced, again, of the certainty of his position as the elder, the last living apostle, that God is with him. See, God is with him. And I'm not saying this for you to just think about him. I want you to apply this to you. He's writing to you, the elect lady. I have to make that case here still. But, but he is writing as the last living apostle to make sure that you, a Christian, whoever you are, wherever you are, have the same confidence in God's position toward you that he has, which is that you are chosen, which is that you are called out and special, which is that the world is not worthy of you. Not because of anything you've done, because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, not only imputed to you, but eaten and drunk. Yes, it just changes everything. And John, John believes this, and he wants you to know that with confidence, so that if someone comes along to you and says, I love God, but Jesus not so much, you can just know, I don't listen to that person. Like, like if I got to buy groceries, they can give me their change, right? I, that's not a problem, but they don't tell me how life goes. They don't tell me what color the sky is. Like, t as far as I'm concerned, they don't have reason until they prove it at least, right? They can teach me math, but I'm not going to let them talk to me about my future. 
you see. And there is definitely a difference in those things. John is advocating then a Christian mind. And I would say that this little tiny book is a primer on having a Christian mind. Okay, so let's see if we can just do that in some bullet points as we go through it here. But I mentioned that you're the elect lady. So let's let's make that case. Right. Uh, That. uh, Do you remember how in third John you can you can turn the page and see it there? He begins with the elder in both cases. um, And uh, I just kind of assumed a moment ago, I'll, I'll make the statement now that by that he means I'm the last apostle alive. Yeah, uh, there are other uh, Christian pastors who would say he's writing much earlier. Maybe some of the, you know Thomas, not, some, some of those guys are still alive. But I'm just going to make the case he's living in Asia Minor, where he wrote Revelation from, uh, and uh, everyone else has been killed in the 60s, late early early 70s, um, and uh, he is now just known as as the old guy, and it's the word, the elder. He's the old guy. He's the he's the old apostle. And he writes 3 John to Gaius, beloved Gaius. Notice the first name, right? 2 John, he doesn't. The elect lady and her children. Now we're in code language. You see that? He went from a private letter to a public letter with a little bit of code. You go back and check 1 John, there's no intro. It's like it's a sermon. It's like it's a sermon. Maybe it went with both the letters. I don't know, again. Um, But what I can say is this makes a lot of sense, that there were two letters that went together to a congregation. One went to Pastor Gaius, the other went to the congregation. Pastor Gaius had to read that to the congregation. That's what we have. Somehow they, they kept it. They were like, well, this is from the elder. This is important, <laughs> right? He doesn't do this often. Uh, they kept it and then it got copied. And over time, it got connected to 1 John if it wasn't there at that moment. And then over time, it got connected to what's called the Catholic epistles, which are all the writings Paul didn't write and that aren't the gospel. And then it got connected by copies being shared with congregations to the great debate at Nicaea over what the scriptures are. And you know, there's, there's another time and place for that history here. But what we have then is a very public, private letter, right? Like one congregation somewhere got this, yeah? And it was talking about some really probably specific things, although in very broad terms, right? There's nothing here that you can't just apply to us right away. And, and yet none of it is like so acute that he's calling out people by, by name like Paul will do sometimes, you know, Philippians, you know, tell those two ladies to stop arguing, you know. Um, and John doesn't quite go there. No? But, but so the elect lady, this is the congregation. And notice elect, chosen, and the bride of Christ, the church, the idea that we together are his chosen bride, right? That idea is very much here in what he says. And then we are the children of that future, right? Of that marriage, of that, of that new creation. Whom, he says, I love in truth. And not only I, this is the rest of verse uh, 2, 1 and 2. Not only I, but also all who have known the truth. Because the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. So he says the word truth multiple times there to emphasize something pretty basic, right? I mean, it almost like if I go back 15 years, this, I would feel like this is pedantic. It was, it's insulting to say this to people, okay? Um, but like there is truth and the people who speak it are good, right? And there are lies and the people who speak them are wicked, okay? And we're supposed to make the wicked people stop if we're good, uh, and in America, that, that was like assumed for a really, really long time. In early uh, Christian Rome, 
I guess not so assumed by everybody, right? And then maybe not so assumed these days here is kind of what we find, right? Uh, the truth is hard to come by. But who is going to tell you the truth? And you go looking for it, and what you find is yet another story, right? Uh, yet another claim, another big idea. Uh, what about what about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What does that do to our questions about truth? John says, you who I love in the truth, the man who said I am the way and the truth and the life, right? Because of the truth, Jesus, who abides in us and will be with us forever, right? So this is about Jesus from the start and to the finish, but also see how it's about Jesus in us, which means it's about the Holy Spirit, marvelous promise of Christianity. You can't be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit in you. And and the Holy Spirit is one of the three persons of the Holy Trinity. So that means you can't be a Christian and not have God inside of you, like all the time. Most of us are like waiting, you know, what's going on right now? We don't even, we're not even aware, right? Like take a moment and think about it next time you're bored or angry. It's like, wait, God's not just far away. God's in fact inside of me right now. As the Holy Spirit who holds this truth that he is risen. Alleluia. And because of that fact, because I know this and whatever moment I just decided to remember this, I am set apart from the world of wickedness and called to trust and confident hope that it will work out for my good, whatever I face, and to curb my tongue with, again, the simple wisdom that my teacher, my master, deigns to give me, which here will then go on to mention that love would be what I should focus on after I find truth. Right? I find truth, and then I need love to go with it. And so he, he gives us, it's a great opening, every opening to the letters, the epistles always bestow grace, mercy, and peace. And it's true that any one of those could be just a general, hey, how you doing in, in any ancient letter, you know, you know, Augustus Mesivius Persifius to Bobus Civis Bibulus, you know, peace to you, right? Like that's pretty normal, right? But to, to pile it on like this, don't miss it. What's Christianity about, right? And, and please listen very carefully right now. Uh, is Christianity about how a man's a man, a woman's a woman, and marriage is two people having babies? Is that what Christianity is about? And the answer is no. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in heaven to all mankind in the name and in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Because of that declaration of such a marvelous thing to us, when he says, I made them male and female from the beginning and said, be fruitful and multiply, it's, it's, it's pretty wise to listen, right? <laughs> uh, but, but we're not here to, by the sword, fix it all. Not Christianity. We're here to, by the tongue, confess that it is all fixed in the person the man, the king, Jesus Christ, and to believe that that will result in a overflow of good around us that really can't be beaten. I mean, here's the thing about the people who don't believe marriage is marriage. They can't have kids. 
They got a generation. So they better come up with a quick scheme for getting kids from someone else. Watch your TV carefully these days on that note. Grace, mercy, and peace is what John says is the promise to you. It will be with you, he says. It's so, it's so forward here. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God, <laughs> the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And there they are again together, truth and love. Right? And he's going to come back to this relationship between the Son and the Father in a moment, so I'm going to leave it. It's very Johannine. It's very John to talk the Son, the Father, the Father, the Son. Matthew does it a little bit, but it's, it's very John. To the level where you get these German liberal scholars, old Lutherans in the 1880s that come along, they're like, it's not really from the time it was from. He couldn't have possibly believed this. It's too intelligent. Right? And, and, and these awful, awful arguments just because he talks about what we believe. Where is the Trinity in the Bible? Well, right there. You know, that doesn't count. I guess it does. You know, if you've ever argued with a Jehovah's Witness, though, you know, you know, they, they don't take it for what it is. But here it is, right? Father and the Son. He's going to come back to that as being the key point he wants to make sure the congregation doesn't forget. Yeah? But he's going to go on and talk about how he's glad he met some of them visiting, right? I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. That's got to be the name of Jesus Christ. That's got to be the word of Jesus Christ. Can't be anything but, right? You know, the way, the truth, the life. Walking in the truth as we receive the commandment from the Father. And here, if you want to do a deep dive study, you go look at, you know, John 16, 17, 18, 19, and the word commandment in that. And you'll find the word love wrapped up all around the upper room where he washed their feet and instituted the Lord's Supper. And then, you know, called out his betrayer and all these kinds of things. So in that uh, the truth of what he left behind that night, right, is the thing that we hold to. The commandment is not new. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God above all things. And this New Testament in his blood is the overflowing of that from old Israel, just the Jews, to the nations, to everybody. Right? And John's like, I was really glad that when I met some of the people from your congregation, that's what I found. It's Christians. So now I plead with you, lady, whole congregation, right? not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which you have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Right? And there it is again, love. This is love, he defines it in verse 6, that we walk according to his commandments. Oh, ha! now we see the circle a little bit for John here too, right? I thought the commandment was love. So how do we define love as the commandments? Well, now he is pointing us back to the Old Testament. The New Testament's triumph of grace alone, faith alone, over the legal code of Moses by no means means that Moses was an idiot or that nothing of the Old Testament is true or, or that it can't show us a wise way to go. Anyone who wants to reinstitute temple sacrifices or ritual purifications or food laws, I mean, that person's, there's plenty of stuff in the New Testament that says you're not a Christian. That, that, that's just obviously wrong, right? Uh, but uh, that doesn't mean you can come along and say, it's okay to kill babies in the womb. And we're Christians still. Like, you just don't get to do that, you see. That's not walking according to his commandments, you see. Um, this is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in. Right? So it's, it's not new. The Bible's true, right? <laughs> the Reformation. Bible's true. Did you hear about the Pope, by the way? That's a total tangent thought. Here he did this week. 
Raise your hands if you did. About half of you. Okay. Uh, Roman Catholic Church has been given the green light to bless same-sex unions. Look at here. We've been calling him the Antichrist for like 500 years. Maybe they'll listen now. Let's go back to verse 7. He's going to talk about Antichrist. I'm not sure our use of the word Antichrist has helped us. It's not how John's going to use the term here exactly. So, um, man of lawlessness, another argument. Here we go. Verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, right? There's danger out here, Will Robinson. I didn't mean to say that to you, Will. That's <laughs> but it's the truth. It's the truth. Yeah, you guys know old enough to know the show, right? Thank you. Um, some of us are, are showing our age. Uh, for many receivers, deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming into the flesh. The danger is out in the world. The danger is out in the world. And the danger is that they don't believe Jesus was incarnate, you see. And this is where him talking about, uh, or who he's talking about in our days, is Jehovah's Witnesses, it's Mormons, uh, it's anyone who would deny that Jesus Christ is begotten of the Father before all worlds, like Nicene Creed, right? And the Nicene Creed comes along because this fight just didn't stop. John kind of smells it on the wind, and he writes his letter against it. And then, and then 200 years later, there is, there's a big fight about it, and we get the creed as the result. But here is John's stamp, which is louder to me than the creed, with that Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, right? That he is God and man. This is the most important thing in our truth. How else could he die and rise again? And if he did, what good would it be? It is because he is the God who is crucified that we worship him. That is why his statue is not an idol. <laughs> and because it's not him. It only points to the glory of what he achieved for us. And we can know that now because of who he is. So again, the Antichrist comes and says, it's not him. It's something else. There's another path to God. And uh, we could say more about how coming in the flesh does reference the Lord's Supper. John chapter 6, certainly, he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so any Christian who says Jesus Christ doesn't come to be eaten and drunk is certainly, I don't know, overlooking this line in the Bible a little bit. That said, he says, verse 8, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. And that indeed is kind of the thrust of his argument to this congregation. Elect lady, God has you. You have the truth. Hold to love, but guard what you have. Watch. Nice Advent theme. Yeah. Watch out, lest some come and take it, because there are those who have no conscience and will. And, you know, follow the money always. If you're ever looking to figure out, I'm talking even at local church meetings, listen, listen. The anger and the rage and the fear about the money will always tell you where the lack of trust is. Uh, and that goes from the top to the bottom. And if you want to apply it to your life, do it and then repent. You know, is this, I don't say these things so I'll feel bad. It's like the, it is our repentance daily, repentance daily that builds us up. Yeah. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. Now, see, it's the thing. God, God be praised. You're not repenting of this daily. Verse 9, whoever transgresses does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Right. So there's this clear statement. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. 
He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. That's what I want to emphasize tonight because that's who you are. You are not those who do not abide in Christ. You're here on this third Wednesday in Advent, the busiest time of year with the world falling apart around our ears, says everyone everywhere somehow in one way or another to hear the good news. The good news, which is that he who abides in the doctrine of Christ, which is you, have both the Father and the Son. You don't just have this idea called Jesus. You don't just have some statue in front of your church. You have a king, a king of the holy and royal bloodline, born of prophecy in order to conquer this age, and he already did. And he's sitting on his throne in charge of the whole thing. The only reason he lets anything go on is so he can save just a few more like you. And so you then can learn to be like him in your own humiliation as you wait for the day. Yeah. The day of his glorious return. And since you therefore have him, you have God. (laughs) Yeah. Behind him, above him, in him. He is God. He is the Son. We can debate it. If you want, I don't want to. I confess the Nicene Creed instead. But the Father is not the Son. And that Father who is God, light of light, eternal, you have him. And he has you. That's that's the promise. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, right? Anyone tell you otherwise? I like it. Do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now, I think one can overreact about false teaching. Right? It, it, there, there is a, there's a time when we must talk about things and someone must be able to be wrong so that they can be right. In order to learn how it works. But what he's saying here is that there's a time that's really just well past that. There's a time in which allowance of the lie starts to eke away at the truth so much so that the truth is just not there anymore. And that if you're going to be party to someone who's actively doing that, then you are going to be party to someone who's actively doing that. But you're just not going to have the truth then. It's like a self-defeating thing, a lie. But again, he writes this to you, not because you are such who should be afraid, but because you are such who see the light. And so realize you've been given a wisdom from on high. You have a nose that in the Proverbs and Psalms certainly can teach you to smell the world way better than anybody else can tell you about it. You'll be able to know the deceiver when he comes, the talebearer, the scoffer, the fool, all these these people who are real and are usually not Christians. And then you have the Christians, we who are here, who are not them. We're set apart. And that's more and more evident. It wasn't so evident 30 years ago. It all looked the same. It's not now. That's okay. It is what it is. I'd like it to be again. I haven't given up yet. I'm just not going to pretend right, that, that what's outside isn't getting a lot darker than, than what's in all the Christian churches of goodwill. All of them, if they're preaching the Christ, who is the son of the father. All of them who are opening their Bibles and believing it is the word of God to put the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Verse 12, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so that pastors would not go on and on on the third Wednesday in Advent. 
not quite what he says, but it's almost what he says, yes. Uh, there's a point at which talk is too much. And that is really something, isn't it? I mean, how much do we send flying in words across the world these days? Just fast and fast and more and more and all and all. And, and you've got to. It's part of life. He didn't even want to write the letter, really. And the thing to take from that for me is just how distant we are from that world. I don't, I don't think we can try to go back, but I think we can, we can learn from imagining how different it was and then really putting this in the head a little bit, um, that all of the new stuff didn't exactly make it better. There are things that are better. Like if I have a cavity, I want, you know, <laughs> if I have a cavity, there are things that are better, but did the stress go away? Did the enemies go away, right? No, no, now it's just different. And, and some might argue that our current times are, are more complex and painful than the old ones. I don't know, but I think that's worth pondering because it broadens you as a human, see. So we're getting outside of your own bubble a little bit and seeing, and then that can remind you just how good we do have it here. Not just at St. Paul, but in the United States of America, as winter descends upon us, you are not a migrant. You're not at war in a field somewhere far away. You're here in a warm building surrounded by people who love you, studying the word of God that promises to hold you tight through darkness and fire and water and everything else in the certainty that you are the elect lady. Yes, her children. That again, you'll get to see the same John face to face, I believe, someday. As well as perhaps these children from the elect sister who greet you. That would be the other congregation friends who maybe they admitted a potluck or a mixer sometime once before. Yeah. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please rise for prayer.